God had made Abraham some a promise, three promises. God had told Abraham at one point that he was going to make him a great nation. Uh, forget the second promise. Or one of the pro- oh, he was going to give him a land that would be his. And then through his descendants, all nations or all nationalities in the world would be blessed. But the only problem was Abraham didn't have any children. If you're going to bless the world through your descendants, you've got to have at least one child, and Abraham didn't have any yet. And they started getting up on past the age of uh, having children, Abraham and Sarah, and uh, they were looking for this promise, but they still didn't have any children. Now they were too old for children. And so apparently Sarah began to get worried that they weren't going to have any children. So she sent her servant, her handmaid, into her husband Abraham so he could get her pregnant and they could have children. The only prom- problem was this wasn't God's plan. This wasn't how he was going to do it. And remember that they had um, uh, Ishmael, I believe was his name. And then later, God did bless Abraham and Sarah with their own child. He was Isaac. But then as the boys grew older, Ishmael began to persecute or began to bully Isaac. And it created a lot of problems. It got to where it was so bad that God told Abraham, said, you send Ishmael and his mother, you send them out of the camp. That's how bad the problem got. And it all started when Sarah, and possibly Abraham, I'm not sure how much of a role he, I guess he played quite a role in this. They just didn't trust God to do what God said, and Sarah tried to play God's part. And that's when they got into trouble. And we see that a lot in the world. Melissa told me recently uh, that when we allow God to be God, it frees up humans to be humans. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is us not trying to be God and do His job, but allowing God to be God, and then humans can be humans. Um, let's see, last one. Most of the time, in most areas of life, God wants us to be like Him. Paul wrote that we should put on the mind of Christ. We should think the same way Christ thinks. We should be loved. We should forgive. We should be kind, gentle, and just on and on and on. All these qualities of God we're supposed to have also. But there are two things that God has reserved for Himself that we are not to take part in. One is vengeance. In Romans chapter 12, God says, Vengeance is mine. God says, I will repay. In verse 17, just before that, He says, Repay no man evil for evil. He said, you don't get revenge. You don't take care of that. That's my job. So if we ever try to get revenge on someone, we're playing God all of a sudden. Another thing that God has reserved for Himself that He has commanded us to not do, judge not that you be not judged, because He has reserved a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man He has appointed, Jesus Christ. So we are not to get revenge, and we are not supposed to judge people. And that's often when we start getting into trouble when we do those two things. I worked at a hospital in Lubbock at University Medical Center, 
and I really liked that job. But there was one guy, I guess I, I've seen a lot of people like him since then, but up to that point I'd never really been like around anyone like him. And he was loud and always talked about himself and made himself out. To, we were in maintenance. We went around the hospital repairing stuff. <clears throat> he made himself out to be really smart. Like he turned out a lot of work. The only trouble was this guy was a smoker. And he to me, it seemed like he spent as much time hiding somewhere and not working and smoking as he did working. Well, Danny Logan, the Christian, took it upon himself to make my boss aware of how much James was goofing off. I remember one time we were walking from one building to another building. Me and my boss, we'd gone to look at a job and we were going back. Well, there was James outside over there kind of in a corner smoking. And we both saw him, and I just took it upon myself say, yeah, that's usually where he is when we're dressed up as for working or something like that. Well, there was another, there were several uh, divisions in maintenance, and there was another supervisor in another division that kind of took a liking to me. And uh, tried to, he got me some part-time work when I needed it, and... and um, started helping me learn computers because I knew nothing at computers at the time and he could see that that was the direction the world was going. And he pulled me aside one day and gave me the best piece of advice I've ever gotten in my entire life. He says, you take care of yourself and you'll stay busy. And I have thought of that a hundred thousand times since he told me that. When I would start, in my mind, playing God and start trying to take care of someone else. Take care of myself and I'll stay busy. That's the same thing Jesus said. He said, if you'll pull the beam out of your own eye, the railroad tie, out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to pull a little bitty splinter out of someone else's eye. In other words, you've got enough problems to keep you busy without worrying about the little problems that someone else has. We start getting into trouble when rather than letting God be God, we start trying to be God. Let God be God, or when we allow God to be God, that frees up others to be humans. And that transfers that thought kind of transfers to three areas of life, I think. One is our dealings obviously with others. When we allow God to be God, then we free up humans to be humans. When we do that, we husbands allow our wives to be human. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. You know, when we first get married, we, we see that woman or that young girl, and she's just perfect in every way. And we get all tingly inside. Someone told me recently that when you... You fall in love with someone, you're all infatuated, and you get that tingly feeling. That's your common sense leaving your body. <laughs> and so we get married, and probably at this point, we still think she's perfect. But then we live with her for 24 hours a day, and we find out she's not perfect. She doesn't always put stuff up. She has her grumpy days, and, and all of a sudden, she's not the perfect person we thought she was. And it's real easy to start getting bitter. Maybe even to try to make her into the woman that we thought she was. And the wives have a reputation for being nags, but or I say wives, women, wives, whatever. Men can do the same thing too. Just start trying to, to make that woman in, into the woman that we really want her to be. But the question is, are we really the man that she wants us to be? Have we taken care of our own problems? I worked for a swimming pool company. Gene Harrod was in the church back then, back in Baytown, Texas. 
and he had uh, pest control was his main business and pool business kind of a side business and it started growing and growing and growing and I remember the year he ordered a bunch of new metal shelving and at the beginning of the year he ordered just almost wasn't a whole truckload of chemicals but he ordered a bunch of stuff and we set all those shelves up and we put all this swimming pool chlorine out and muriatic acid and all this other stuff brand new shelves like you see in, in uh, 7-Eleven or something metal shelving that's painted within a year or two that metal shelving had started rusting. It was indoors. It was in an air-conditioned building. It was indoors, but it had started rusting because what little chlorine gas there was, when you walked in, if you ever walked into a swimming pool store, you can smell it. That chlorine gas that was in that building 24 hours a day ate through that paint and began to rust that metal after just a year or two. After just a year or two of marriage... We husbands allow ourselves to start getting bitter at our wives' shortcoming. It's going to start eating away at the marriage, that new marriage, just like it ate away at that metal shelving. And left very long, it can destroy it. I remember one time, swimming pool parts are real expensive. One time there's this little bitty part that broke on a customer's uh, swimming pool. So I thought, well, instead of going paying $20 for this part, I'll go to Home Depot and get one just like it. Well, they didn't have a plastic one. They had a metal one. And within about two weeks, that thing was completely eaten up. And that's what bitterness will do to a relationship with our wives. We are not to, to, to judge our wives and get bitter against her, but we are supposed to allow God to take care of her. We're supposed to take care of ourselves. We're supposed to forgive our wives. What about the wives? In uh, Ephesians chapter 5, the very last uh, verse of the chapter says, see that the wife reverence or honor her husband. The same thing happens. You marry him and you think he's perfect and then all of a sudden you start seeing he's not perfect. He leaves the toilet lid open and maybe uses bad manners and, and he's just not the guy that you thought he was all of a sudden. And so there again you've got a choice. Or are you going to do what's your responsibility that God has assigned you and me and forgive or are we going to get judgmental all of a sudden? We've got a choice. And the same thing, it'll lead up that marriage. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So he's given us two responsibilities here. One is, we're not supposed to bring up our children the way we want to, but we're supposed to bring them up the way God wants us to. We're supposed to allow God to be God and follow His directions. And I don't know why Paul aimed this particular thing at fathers. Maybe it's just a trait of men in general, that we can get bitter towards our wives and we can provoke our children to wrath. I've never talked about a lot to a lot of other fathers about this, but I know that looking back, that was certainly two problems I've dealt or fought with for a long time. Sometimes we parents have too high expectations of kids. Remember the movie with Robin Williams in it called Hook about Peter Pan? There's one scene in there where Robin Williams is this, you know, I guess kind of bitter daddy, so wrapped up in his business and he doesn't have time for his family, and he tells his little boy, he says, Quit acting like a kid. And the kid says, But dad, I am a kid. <laughs> we need to allow our children to be children 
and not provoke them to wrath. Sometimes, and it applies to mothers too, we can get so busy, say, quit that, quit that, put that up, quit acting like that, quit that. And have you ever worked with a boss like that? I've had some really good bosses and I've had some really bad bosses. And the bosses that were just always right there over me, ready to criticize everything I did, pointing out everything I did wrong, trying to tell me how to do everything, micromanaging, well, pretty soon you get where you can't concentrate on your work and you're just thinking about your boss or maybe even a co-worker and you can't concentrate and then you just keep messing up more. And if you're ever in a situation like that, probably you end up getting another job. And sometimes that's just the way it is at work. You've got a boss that's not a good boss. But we should not have to come home to a Christian home to that kind of atmosphere. The husband should micromanage his wife. The wife should micromanage the children or her husband. Shouldn't do that to the children either. When we allow God to be God and to judge other people and take care of them, that frees us up and frees up the people we're with to be human. What about your parents? A a mom is the smartest person in the world until the child starts school. And then all of a sudden, mom is no longer the smartest of teachers. But mom, my teacher told me the world is flat. Your mom says, what? The world? No, mom, my teacher said. We heard that a whole lot from our children. And so they think we're perfect, but then especially when they get in their teenage years, they start seeing that mom and dad aren't perfect. They've got faults. They've got temptations. They're lazy in some aspects of their life. There's things that they don't do. There's things that they shouldn't do that they do. And all of a sudden this person, just like getting married, this person you thought was perfect, it's not perfect. So what are we going to do? Are we going to step into God's place and judge them and try to correct them and, and make them into the parents they should be? Now I've got a question. This applies to all these areas we've talked about whether you're a child or a wife or a husband or, or, or whatever, think about your attitude towards someone that's over you. Your parent, your husband, the elders in the church, your boss at work. Now, for most of us, in a few years, we might be in that position. The young men in the church will grow up to be fathers, or husbands, the young women will grow up to be mothers. You may have your own company and you may be a boss. Would you like to have a whole house full or a whole company of people under you with the same attitude that you have? Would you like to have two or three workers that disrespected their boss the way that you disrespect your boss? Or that disrespect, would you like to have kids that treat you like you treat your parents? Would you like to have children that treat you like the way you treat your husband? We need to uh, let God be God and do the judging and the revenge and we need to do the forgiving. Another area of life that this will help us out is in our with ourselves talked a few weeks ago about people that just can't forgive themselves for some wrong that they've done or for the person they're not that they thought they would be. In Psalms chapter 103 and verse 13 the Bible says as a father pities his children so the Lord pities those who fear him. 
For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And we need to remember that about ourselves. We're not gods. We're not perfect. God is God. God is perfect. And we're human. We're just dust. In the same way, we shouldn't expect too much of our wives. We shouldn't expect too much of our children or co-workers or whoever. We should allow ourselves to be human. Now that's not an excuse to sin. Paul pointed out in Romans chapter 5 how sinful people are. And he says, but that's okay because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. But then he asks the question like some people say, well, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Is, since I'm human, is it okay to sin? Of course not. That's Paul's answer. He says, God forbid, of course not. We should allow ourselves to be human and we should allow God to forgive us. If God can forgive the Apostle Paul for persecuting the church and killing Christians, if He can forgive Peter for denying Him three times, if Jesus can forgive the people that crucified Him and put Him to death, allow God to forgive you. Don't expect too much out of yourself. You know why our feet point forward? So we can't kick ourselves. God doesn't want us doing that. God will forgive us. He tells fellow Christians to forgive us. And we as Christians should accept that forgiveness and and forget the past. Not keep trying to turn our foot around so we can kick ourselves. When we allow God to be God, that allows humans to be humans. That allows you and me to be human. Accept God's forgiveness. The third area that this will help us out in is in trusting God. Sometimes I think that, I, I don't mean you and me necessarily, but just people in general, try to put God in a box and pull Him out when they want to. And they make God this little, their personal Savior, or make Jesus their personal Savior. Have you ever had people say, well, I just, I just don't believe that a God that is love would do... Say, I, I just don't think if there was a God that He would... And so what we're doing is we're saying, I'm smart enough. I can figure out the person that God should be. And I personally don't think that a God... And we start trying to see how God should be. We need to allow God to be God. In Isaiah chapter 55, God says, My ways are not your ways. It says that the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. Let's turn to the book of Job. Job and his friends had been uh, talking about Job's problems and why maybe he had all these problems. And God had been sitting there listening to all this stuff that they had been saying. And then in Job chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. And God goes on and on and on. He says, If you're so smart... Where were you before you were created and I was creating the world? What does the world rest on? 
what keeps the waters in this spot and not in this spot? I know. Do you know? And we say, well, you know, I don't see how a God that's full of love could, could send someone to hell. God says, how are you so smart? Where were you when I was creating the world? Rather than us trying to decide the kind of God that we want, maybe we should listen to what God is telling us and see what kind of God He is and see what we should be doing. Sometimes we... If we don't trust God, if we don't believe that He is this all-knowing, omnipresent, everlasting being, then it's kind of hard to obey Him. We know what it says, but I don't know if that'll work. What about for... Let's, let's look at one or two areas. What about raising our children? Several places in Proverbs, it says that we are supposed to spank our children. uses the word rod. It says uh, uh, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from them. There are a lot of people that you work with and on television and newspaper and the magazines and books that want to make fun of you and make you feel stupid and make you feel like a child abuser if you do it God's way. Now who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to psychologists and the psychiatrists and Oprah Winfrey and the president and movie stars? Are you going to try to discipline your children the way they say to do it? Or do you think that God is God and He created us and He knows what's best for us? We have a lot of pressure every day to not do it God's way. And people want to make you feel stupid and make fun of you and even accuse you of child abuse. Now, are you going to trust God and obey Him and do it His way or are you going to give in to society? If we'll let God be God and trust Him, it's easy to do what He says. What about forgiveness? Peter came to Jesus and said, said, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Jesus said, no. Seven times seventy. In other words, you just keep forgiving over and over and over. But that's not what we want to do, is it? We want to get revenge. Someone has mistreated us. Someone's gossiped about us. Someone has hurt us in some way. Said, if I ever get my chance, I'd like to punch his lights out. And we hear songs on the radio about that. Johnny Cash did one about his last day at work. How he's going to go in and punch his boss out. And that will infect our minds too. Remember we talked earlier, God has reserved vengeance for Himself. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to forgive and forgive. And Well, if you just keep forgiving them, they just keep walking right over you. No, you can learn from the lesson and then forget the incident. In other words, if someone conned you out of some money, well, just remember that people are out to con you out of money and be more careful next time. You don't have to hold it against the person forever. If someone says they'll do something and they don't do it, well, you don't have to hold it over them forever. Just remember that people are forgetful and just like you, maybe they didn't do what they said and just remember that in the future and forgive them and move on. I was talking about swimming pool chemicals. 
They put muriatic acid, which is a hank of mild form of hydrochloric acid, in a real tough plastic bottle, and they put a plastic seal over it, and then another foil seal, and they screw that lid on. And you can shake it, turn it over, and it's not going to spill. But the interesting thing is, if you've got a, a box of muriatic acid that's set, for example, in a shed for a long time, you have to pick up that box and it just crumbles. I mean, it's just like dust. Somehow or another, those fumes are getting out of that bottle, even though it's sealed, and just eating up that box. And I have never seen cardboard crumble like a muriatic acid box will when it's been sitting there for a long time. It eats that box up. God said that vengeance is His. He said that we're supposed to forgive. And when we refuse to forgive, it's just like having that muriatic acid inside us. And it's going to eat us up too. Sometimes we talk about an old man, say he's just a cranky old, bitter old man. Is that what you want when you're 60 or 70 or 80 for people to call you a cranky, bitter old man? On the other hand, there's a woman at church named Sunshine Smith. She was married... I think his name was A.O. Smith. And if you look in the song books, he wrote a lot of songs, A.O. Smith. But in Gunner, or in Plainview, they call her Sunshine because she's so cheerful. And I don't know how she was when she was in her 70s, maybe 80s, and she was one of the most beautiful women I had ever seen. And she was called Sunshine. Cranky, bitter old, hateful man or Sunshine Smith. What kind of person do we want to be? And so that's why God says, vengeance is mine. Don't you worry about it. I'll take care of that. Your job is to forgive people. It's going to make their lives better. It's going to make your your wife, your husband, your children. It's going to make their lives better. It'll make your life better. I will take care of things. God has reserved uh, vengeance for Himself. Another way that allowing God to be God is that we can be free from worry. In Matthew chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Christians, as a rule, worry a lot less than most people. So, you lose your job. What's going to happen? Well, you lose your house, you lose everything, and you start over. Learn another career, get busy, and start working again. It's not the end of the world. Angie says one of her favorite things as a mother has been listening to our children when they were little in school and now as parents themselves come to, Mom, it's the end of the world. This happened to me. This happened to us. What are we going to do? It's not the end of the world. And we find that out when we learn to trust God. It's not the end of the world. In Romans 8 and verse 28, one of my favorite verses, says, All things work together for good to those that love God. Does that mean only good things are going to happen to Christians? No. It means that a Christian, whatever happens, can take it and run with it and have a good ending anyway. Lose your job, lose your health. What's the worst? If you lose your health, what's the worst that can happen? You die. See, so you die. So then what happens? Well, then you go to heaven. 
Is that the worst thing that can happen to you? Even when the worst happens to us, it's still going to work out good. If we'll trust God and let God be God and take care of those things. I want to throw this in real quick. I don't see how today, with all the news... I mean, there's always been bad, but with all the news, that's all we hear. And news, bad news from around the world is reported here. I don't see how a non-Christian can have any peace of mind whatsoever when you hear that a man kidnapped a little three-year-old and did bad things and then strangled her and then threw her in a shallow grave. How can you sleep at night knowing that kind of stuff is going on? But when we trust God and allow God to be God, we remember that God says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Romans chapter 14 and verse 7 says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue will confess. And so we can see people doing horrendous things. And it breaks our heart the way some people suffer. But we know that in the end... God will take care of everything. You hear about a murder that's been unsolved after 30 years? God knows who did it. And in the end, God's going to take care of it. The police may never find him. The FBI may never find him. They may never find the body. God's watching. God knows. And in the end, He will take care of it. And that ought to give you and me some peace of mind. In the end, He's going to take care of the evil people. And in the end, He's going to take care of you and me. Jesus said, don't fear them that kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. If the worst thing that happens to us is for us to be killed, God will take care of us. And that gives us the peace that passes all understanding when we will allow God to be God and take care of the things He said He'll take care of. In 2 Kings chapter 5, it tells a story about it, of a man that did not want to allow God to be God. In 2 Kings chapter 5 says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. You and I are scared of going to the doctor and him telling us we've got cancer. Leprosy was a disease that was incurable. And I guess cancer eats you up from the inside. Leprosy eats you up from the outside. And your skin just starts dying and just falling off. And you start losing fingers and hands. And and if you had leprosy back then, you were cast out of the city. You couldn't even be in the city with your family and friends. You were an outcast. And that's what happened to Naaman. He was leper. And he had no hope of being cured. But his wife says in verse 2, The Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman hears about someone that can cure him. 
So he packs up his stuff and he goes to find this prophet who was Elijah. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the river Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away in a wrath. He said, Indeed, I said to myself, though King James Version says, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Naaman was not allowing God to do things God's way. And not only was he not allowing it and not accepting it, he got mad about it. But then the people who were with him, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? If the prophet had told you to climb the tallest mountain and fast for a week, would you have done that to get cured of your leprosy? And they asked him, says, How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? If you would do something tremendous, why won't you do something simple? And Naaman went and followed God's directions, and his flesh became new. And we're just like Naaman. Well, I don't believe a God of love would send someone to hell. If there's a God in heaven, why does he allow so much suffering on earth? Well, I don't really think that God means this. The Bible's outdated. And we get mad and we don't want to listen to what God says. But when we do things God's way, good things will happen to us just like good things happen to Naaman. When we will let God be God, it frees up humans to be human. And when we really believe that God is a God that we can worship and believe in, we can trust Him and that makes it easy to obey Him. Let's stand and sing this song.